We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Heaven's Gate on November 19th, 1980. It was written and directed by Michael Cimino and released by United Artists. Is that how you say it? Cimino, yeah. It's a CH sound. I should also specify, this is the first time that it came out. Yes because it came out again uh in 1889 a conflict erupted in johnson county wyoming cattle companies were prosecuting alleged rustlers tensions between the large ranchers and local settlers culminated in powder river county when ranchers hired gunmen one of these gunmen was tom horn under the pseudonym tom hale who was employed by the wyoming stock growers association as well as the pinkertons he is alleged to have been involved in the killing of nate champion and nick ray on April 9th, 1892. Uh, Nate Champion and Nick Ray in this film are the Christopher Walken and uh, Mickey Rourke characters. Hmm. And he was a prime suspect for the killings of ranchers John A. Tisdale and Orly Ranger Jones. The small farmers and ranchers responded by forming a posse of 200 men. The resulting standoff had to be interrupted by the United States Cavalry on orders from President Benjamin Harrison. This conflict, known as the Johnson County War, would go on to serve as the backdrop for The Virginian in 46 and Shane in 53. Chimino initially wrote the script in 71 with the title The Johnson County War and later retitled it Pay Dirt, but failed to attach big enough names for a green light. His directorial debut Thunderbolt and Lightfoot in 74 was a huge hit, and when he followed it up by taking the Oscars for Best Director and Picture for Deer Hunter, he talked United Artists into a blank check deal to resurrect heaven's gate this deal is amazing yes he, like he 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 would not be charged or fined for going over production or right. over costs he could, he could go over budget limitless forever <laughs> okay it was these two new heads of the studio and they they wanted to make names for themselves and they were like this guy just did deer hunter he's gonna be great we're gonna blow everybody away and, and the, they didn't know what they were yeah, doing they did not know what they were doing this is why you have contract lawyers sure the film was shot in Glacier National Park in Montana. The original budget was set at $11.6 million, but production was quickly behind schedule. The Hollywood legend is that the film was five days behind schedule on the sixth shoot day. The cast spent six weeks learning how to roller skate. DP Vilmo Sigmund was insistent about shooting scenes during magic time. I think that pays off, actually. Yeah. Clint Eastwood, Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, and Robert Redford were all considered for the role of James Averill. McQueen didn't trust Chimino as a director. The male lead was initially offered to John Wayne in the early 70s. The female lead, played by Isabel Huppert, was originally offered to Jane Fonda, Sally Field, Diane Keaton, Raquel Welch, and Allie McGraw. I actually like that they didn't go with a bigger female name. Yeah, I agree. Isabel Huppert, I think, is perfect for yeah. this role. I think she does a great job. And I, and I think her accent lends to the whole foreigner aspect of this movie yeah I mean, of Raquel Welch probably could have done that but yeah I, I think that a more famous woman would have been kind of distracting to the yep. story 
Yep, I totally agree. Um, but the the same producers who said you can use as much money as you want to to make your movie were the ones telling him you can't use Isabel Huppert because she's too French and people won't understand what she's saying. And it's like, no, oh, you guys are just wrong about everything, I guess. Yeah. Jack Lemmon was considered for the role of William C. Irvine. That's the John Hurt role. From Wikipedia, as an example of Chimino's fanatical attention to detail, a street built to his precise specifications had to be torn down and rebuilt because it reportedly didn't look right. The street in question needed to be six feet wider. The set construction boss said it would be cheaper to tear down one side and move it back six feet, but Chimino insisted that both sides be dismantled and moved back three feet and then reassembled. <laughs> An entire tree was cut down, moved in pieces, and relocated to the courtyard where the Harvard 1870 graduation scene was shot. What? Chimino, why? <laughs> I don't know why. Chimino had an irrigation system built under the land where the major battlefield scene would unfold so that it would remain vividly green in contrast with the red color of all the stage blood. Adding to the rapidly inflating budget of the film was the fact that before they started shooting, since Chimino had selected Montana as the location, he bought a bunch of land there and was renting the land to the studio for them to film. And they were like, who owns this land? Why are we paying so much for the <laughs> land? And they realized that he owned it. That has to be a major conflict of interest. Yeah. On top of that, he was buying the rights to the music from David Mansfield, the composer, and then selling the rights to the studio for an inflated profit. I mean, kudos to him, but how is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally ridiculous. It's in his contract. This yeah. magical contract that lets him do anything he You're wants. You're going to let me charge whatever I want. One billion dollars per day, please. Over the course of the production, Chimino shot 1.3 to 1.5, numbers vary, million feet of film, over 220 hours of footage. He reportedly demanded a minimum of 32 and sometimes up to 50 takes for certain shots. United Artists considered firing Chimino to replace him with Norman Jewison, though in Stephen Bach's novelized retelling, The Final Cut, David Lean was their first choice to replace him. Yeah, in terms of the footage... Um... I think I, I read that it was 60 to 1. And this yeah. is a three and a half hour movie. Yes. And it's 60 to 1. Like now 60 it's a three and a half hour movie. Is an insane number of footage that you shot versus used. Yep. It's crazy. Production wrapped having spent $30 million. Director Chimino reportedly changed the locks on the editing bays to keep studio executives away from his film. The first work print he showed the executives was five hours and 25 minutes long but he assured them that the final cut would be 15 minutes shorter. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to see that cut. I Is kind that of crazy? do too. I absolutely want to see that cut. <laughs> so the other thing that I kind of want to do is recover that other like 2000, you know, what whatever, you know, the extra footage that they had. And just watch all the dailies. I'll, well, I don't necessarily want to watch all the dailies because I don't need 50 takes of everything. But whatever scenes you didn't include add them back in yeah we got a whole mini series here guys yep, yeah. absolutely <laughs> uh they promptly told him that they would not release the film and he had already blown past the christmas 79 release date so chimino spent the summer of 80 cutting it down to three hours and 39 minutes upon its release it was critically derided and the final 44 million dollar price tag only made 3.5 million back it is still one of the biggest box office bombs of all time waterworld having suffered the same disastrous fate at the box office, was referred to by some as Kevin's Gate. <laughs> <laughs>
It was later edited further into a 2 hour and 29 minute version with a re-release in 81. The shorter version of the film was literally cut from the negative of the previous theatrical cut and as a result no original cut exists on negatives. Oh, Interesting. That's a shame. Yeah, it is. Jimino was attached to direct The Dogs of War in 81 for United Artists but was understandably dropped out of his two-picture deal with the studio. In 1999, Time Magazine listed this film in the century's 100 worst ideas. It even killed the whole Western genre for like a decade. The film is also famous for its animal rights abuses. Mm. Yeah, that was hard to handle. Having used the blood of live horses as makeup for bloodied actors. They literally just drained blood out of horses' necks and then smeared it on people's faces. Well, they probably killed enough horses in this movie based on the footage I saw. They also used real cow intestines to make up for human intestines. The American Humane Society confirmed the killing of four horses on the set during the climactic battle, one of which was literally blown up with dynamite in a shot they left in the film. Oh, Christ. (laughs) Tom Noonan was among several cast and crew members who spoke out about Chimino's abusive conduct which included holding a loaded gun to Noonan's head during a dispute on set. Oh my goodness. The animal abuses in the film played a major part in the establishing of the no animals were harmed in the making of the film. This is like the number one reason that the... uh, God, I believe it. Between the cockfighting and the horses blowing up, it was rough. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross. And this would be a really hard movie to watch uh, for anybody... Uh, in that society, I assume. This is why they started negotiating with studios like, we're going to have representatives on set all the time from yeah. the Humane Society. Also, the house, the whorehouse in the film, when they were getting ready to tear down the set, Chimino asked if anybody wanted it <laughs> before they tore it down. And Jeff Bridges is like, I'll take it. So he still owns that house. Dibs. <laughs> they disassembled it and then reassembled it, but he owns the house used as the whorehouse to this day. It's still in Montana. That's awesome. What's the nightly raid? <laughs> one billion (laughs) dollars john williams was set as the original composer but when the schedule ran so long he left to score empire strikes back and raiders ennio morricone was considered to replace him probably a good choice yeah (laughs) Uh, they considered ennio morricone to replace him but they landed on david mansfield as their uh composer which it was his first time composing and i was fine yeah i think he did great i think he did fine and he didn't come back and compose anything for like five more years yeah for the next chimino film oh okay well because it seems he like had, he was fresh out of school and i think he just him. had this shadow hanging over him it's like oh what was your last movie oh, oh what was okay. your only movie oh yeah. okay <laughs> the movie performed so poorly in fact that united artists parent company transamerica corporations decided they were done making movies and they sold the studio to mgm after 60 years of operation it was founded by charlie chaplin and uh douglas fairbanks but it was founded in 1919 and in 1980 they were like all right this isn't a studio anymore they sold it to mgm uh mgm owner kirk kirkorian it was merged into mgm and didn't re-emerge as a subsidiary division until 87 but it was far from bankrupt as a studio it was supported financially from the james bond pink panther and rocky franchises but 1980 was already a bad year for them after the flops of Cruising, Foxes, and Roadie. Those were the other United Artists films so far this year. This film marked the feature film debut of Willem Dafoe. He was fired off of the film for laughing at an extra's joke during the cockfighting scene. Chimino removed his name from the credits, but Dafoe would go on to narrate the documentary, 
Final Cut, The Making and Unmaking of Heaven's Gate, based on Stephen Bach's novel, Final Cut, Art, Money, and Ego in the Making of Heaven's Gate, the film that sank United Artists. In spite of all this, Heaven's Gate was submitted in competition for the 1981 Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It did not win. It was nominated for one Oscar for Best Art Direction Set Decoration and five Razzies for the second annual Golden Raspberry Ceremony in 82. The original cut didn't release wide, so it didn't qualify for the Razzies, but the shorter 1981 version did. So technically, we should have probably reviewed that one. I don't want to see that one. I want to see this one. No, I'm Mm -hmm. glad we saw this one. I was was thrilled that this was the one we watched after we watched it. If you had asked me a week ago, I'd be like three hours and 39 minutes. No, we'll watch the short one. Yeah, we'll watch the short one. But no, I'm glad we watched the long one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'd like to watch the original cut. Um, And I think that it really needs to be emphasized that this, this is a notorious disaster because of the box office flop. I, it's not a bad movie. No. And I would argue, and the argument made by the documentary, is that it's a box office flop because critics were mad that uh, Chimino was not letting any press on set to see how the movie was coming along. Oh, man. And they felt that they had rated Deer Hunter too highly because it took home all these awards. Yeah. And so they were they were hoping for his next film to flop. And then when they heard, oh, it's how long is it and how much did it cost? Oh, we're going to shit all over this thing. And so then when it came out, like two or three people on opening night wrote these really harsh reviews of the movie that don't make sense. Like they're so angry that they don't make sense. And it was only in theaters for two weeks before Chimino wrote a letter himself to the studio and said, pull it out of the theater. I'll cut more out of it and we'll put it back in the theater next year. Yeah, I mean, I also feel like, in addition to it not having been out for long enough to make money, it, like, it's hard for people to go to a three and a half hour movie. Sure, like, yeah. yeah. It's just that I, I get now in like the the age of home entertainment, like this is something that you can take in in your own time, but going out to a three and a half hour movie that is a commitment. But that's, I mean, Endgame is about three and a half, right? It's like 319 um, yeah. or something. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the, the three and a half hour historical drama versus sure. a, yes. a, a superhero. Well, how long has Gone with the Wind? Yeah, well, that's older. And they had yeah. like intermissions and stuff too. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, I think that that is... I Four mean, hours. Yeah. Studios know. Studios know that that is the result of movies being that long. That's yeah. why they cut them down so much. But there's there's... It's the opinion of a lot of people that this movie got cramped on because critics were upset about how they were being treated by the director and they tried to find things that were going wrong to point out, oh, this is going to be a huge disaster to scare people away before it even came out. That makes sense because I was like, I don't, going into this movie, like even from the get-go, I'm like, I don't understand why people didn't like this one. I don't understand the reviews. I, I was coming into today's record going, Pat and Jesse are going to hate me so much because I really enjoyed this movie. We loved I it. Loved it. Uh, and, and, and they're <laughs> going to be three like thumbs up for they're, sure. They're, 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 I thought for sure you guys were going to hate it. Nope. And uh-huh. I was going to be like going, oh god, they're going to be so mad at me that I like this movie. <laughs> no, no, no. It was beautiful. It was. It's gorgeous. It's haunting and crazy and like the. I, I my hands were shaking in that final battle. I mean, we'll oh, get yeah, to that. it's terrifying. Yeah, I mean. We don't, we don't okay. want to get right, too far right. ahead let's, of ourselves. Let's get into it. Let's but, get into it. <laughs> but uh, another thing that people have claimed is that 
another reason that this film was destined to fail was because studios were getting wary about these directors and these price tags and they wanted to show someone who was off the reins that, that got to do whatever yeah. he wanted yeah. and have it fail miserably so they could say we're not going to do that again we're not going to waste money on auteurs we're going to make you know cookie cutter films from now on even the blockbusters are going to mm-hmm. be you know they're going to be tested they're going to be approved they're going to be it has to be something that we've done before so that we know yeah. it works i mean that makes a lot of sense i don't know what power the studio heads had to really affect the outcome of how this movie was received but i mean i mean they can they can make it worth a critic's while to shit on it i guess it's all a conspiracy theory there's a whole heaven's gate conspiracy there's not a better (laughs) explanation for why this movie is as critically derided as it is yeah because it's great it's just great Mm -hmm. totally agree the Razzies that it was nominated for were director, picture, screenplay, score, and actor for Chris Christopherson, but it only won the director Razzie because uh, Chimino basically did the rounds on all the talk shows and morning shows and took full credit for the film's failures. He said, anything that's wrong with this movie is my fault. It's nobody else's oh, because this is what I wanted it to be. I mean, good on him for be- taking responsibility, but he's taking responsibility for a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> In accordance with Chimino's contract, his name and the title are the same size in the opening credits. It was also required that they be the same size on the poster and marquees for the film. Every marquee had to say, Michael Chimino's Heaven's Gate. We open the film at Harvard College, Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1870. James Averill is racing to catch up with a parade of this year's graduates. He joins the crowd alongside his good friend, William C. Irvine. Who seems considerably older than yeah. him already. <laughs> they both look 40. Yeah. yeah. They both have like crow's feet and everything. Uh, girls surrounding the buildings cheer and wave down to the all-male graduating class, as was the custom of the time. They join a large auditorium where they are addressed by a representative of the university. James is just sneaking peeks at the women in the audience, and Irvine is just trying to make jokes the whole time. Irvine is invited to the podium as the class's official orator. His speech gets a lot of eye rolls from the faculty, flirty looks from the girls, and chuckles from the graduates. The graduates and ladies dance the Danube waltz in a courtyard. Later, the graduates all run to form circles, defending a large tree in a courtyard, and then a second crowd swarms the tree and and punches are thrown back and forth until James climbs into the tree and pulls down a handful of flowers tied around the tree about 10 feet off the ground. And this is the infamous tree that was moved. Right. At night, they all sing dumb college songs, dripping with blood from their punching game in the yard. And we flash forward 20 years. Yeah. So that whole sequence is a good 15 minutes long. And totally wholly unnecessary. unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess this is a good time to bring up the 2014 Steven Soderbergh cut of this movie, uh, which I scrubbed through a little bit to kind of get a grasp of I what it is. I didn't even know that existed. I'm, yeah, I'm interested he, to see that. He did a 108 minute. Uh, recut of the film what it, it does Wait. not open with the school stuff well, of no. course because it's not necessary yeah. it does include it at the end um i'm not and i'm not sure quite of the context of it but it, it doesn't instead of the actual the ending that of this film which i, I assume it starts here at the at the, at the, the train. transition yeah, where he's exa- on the train yeah. exactly yeah i think that makes more sense and so as much as i like this movie there are definitely places that could have been trimmed yeah. down yeah, yeah. And, but there's also there's nothing wrong with this opening other than that 
it's extraneous. It's beautiful. The locations yeah. are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And um, the the auditorium they're in looks great. All the costumes are great. Yeah. The dancing is incredible. How fast they're yes. spinning in circles. And the so many works. extras. Yeah, yeah, that's the amazing thing about this film. Like, throughout the film, all of these scenes have hundreds, hundreds of extras. And they're all in period pieces, in right. period gowns and, and everything that you're just like, how did you dress this many extras? And his requirement, Chimino's requirement on set was that any extra that was wearing clothes, they had to have a photograph from the time period of someone wearing that outfit. So they could say, this is time accurate. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's insane. That, that's, that is, I, I mean, I think it's great. Yeah. I, I, I think <laughs> the, the, the insanity of someone who is like, I, I would never want to work for somebody like right? that. But... <laughs> But, but to go through such extremes. I liked what Chris Christopherson said about it, where he said, when we were working on the movie, I didn't think that this guy was being crazy. I just thought he cared a lot about the movie, like more than I've ever seen someone care about a movie. Seems like he did. He's like, I didn't care that much about this movie, but I was glad that he cared that much. Yeah. We flash forward to 20 years to a train rolling through Wyoming. It's an era accurate train that had to be brought to the set on other trains because it didn't fit <laughs> modern rails. <laughs> And somebody like I had to go through all these crazy routes because it couldn't fit in tunnels. Yeah, but, so they had to like zigzag it around lay, the country. They had to lay special tracks for it for the movie. Yes, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, train gauge changed uh, all all through the eras uh, until they finalized it. What, what we're, we're using now, but even other countries they use different gauges. Yeah, yeah that's why trains often crash right at the border. They just <laughs> so, fall into the middle of the tracks. We move up to a small cabin in a field. Blankets are strung up to form a wall around the back of the structure in which large animals are being butchered. A woman brings a bowl of cow intestines around the house, leaving her husband along with the rest of the animal, when he notices a shadow on the blankets and starts to call out to it in another language. Until the shadow levels a shotgun at him and fires through the blankets into his chest. His wife comes running around the building to cradle his body as he's dying, and we watch through the shotgun hole in the bloody blankets as the shooter slowly walks away. This is Christopher Walken as the Nate Champion character. For some reason, Nate Champion, who in real life was considered the champion of the rustlers by the small ranchers in the dispute, is portrayed in the film as an enforcer for the stockmen on the opposite side of the war. Yeah, uh, so this is probably my only real huge complaint with this movie is that if you're going to go around and change history already, just don't use the real names. Um, exactly. Like I feel like none. This whole movie should have been a fictionalized account, mm-hmm. um, of of a real event. Yeah. Like you know, it it all all the things that can happen still happen. But if you're gonna change, like have certain people live who 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 died and have some people die who lived, and and have it be the way it was. Like I feel like. Well, I, I can't go without getting into the ending of it. I guess I'll, yeah. I'll save yeah. these thoughts for the end. Yeah. But, but basically, the character he's playing is Tom Horn. Correct. And it's it's, I can see why you wouldn't want to just call him Tom Horn. You're overshadowing your story with, oh, Tom Horn. I saw the Steve McQueen movie mm-hmm. earlier this year. Yeah. No, I get that. But you know, like you said, it it doesn't have to be a known. Yeah. Person. Yeah. So why did we why did we take somebody and switch his sides? Yeah. That's the weirdest part is that you're literally making him the polar opposite of what he was. Yeah. It's like if Winston Churchill is like right. throwing up Nazi. I mean, it's <laughs> a, I mean it's got to be offensive to his legacy. Yeah. People think this is what he did. 
Nate races past a massive crowd of immigrants entering town and calls them all idiots. A train rolls into town in Casper, Wyoming. James is the last one off the train. He connects quickly with his friend Cully, who is newly working as the station manager. James tells him that he's in Casper because he brought in an immigrant woman for hanging. You are hanging women now, Artie. Shot her husband six times in the head and then the kids. I'm fuzzy on James' profession for a lot of this movie. He doesn't seem like a lawman, mm-hmm. but that almost makes it sound like he's a bounty hunter. So I, it's not totally clear right now. Right now. It, it will be clear shortly. James has just purchased a brand new horse-drawn carriage, and he intends to ride it up to Johnson County tonight if it doesn't snow. Cully warns him another immigrant was killed up there, Michael Kovich. Cully talks to James about the hard work he puts in trying to provide for the constant flood of immigrants here, and James leaves him a hefty tip. Before they part, Kelly reminds James to take care of himself and to not let things get to him. Here we see the first wide shot of the town, and it's gorgeous. It, there, there's so much chaos in the streets. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm, this was the point at which I paused the film and actually asked you about this because I know you had done research before I had watched it. And I was so confused because I'm like, you had told me that everything was on set, on location, filmed before practical. I watched it. Yes. It was practical. And I was so confused by this shot because I'm just like, this is huge. This is absolutely yeah. massive town and buildings and facades. And I'm like, I don't see map painting lines anywhere. Like, this is all real. And yeah. it's filled with people and extras absolutely everywhere and it's also shot brilliantly enough that every frame of this could have been you could put it on a wall in a museum and i would be like that's a beautiful photograph this is like no western i've ever seen yeah usually if someone was walking into a town like this there'd be 10 people on the street mm-hmm. one horse and yeah. wagon rolling down the street and a tumbleweed but, but apparently that was actually more accurate to what Casper was like at this time. There was only like 500 people that lived there. But, yeah. But this is such a crazy bustling. There, there's It's loud. Yeah. Like they, they, they make no apologies for the noise of just carriages and horses and people, people yelling. People are fighting and, and just it, the streets are overrun. Like I'm just amazed that people aren't getting run over left and right. They probably were. <laughs> On his way into a corner store, Jim sees a man being beaten to a pulp in the street but he just walks right past it into the store where he buys a gun and a drink. At the cash register, he notices a newspaper headline that reads, Governor supports move to end state of anarchy. He looks outside again and sees the wife of the beaten man being thrown to the ground, and he steps outside to tell the punching man that their victim has had enough, that it's it's time to give this guy a break, you need to let up. And then they try to fight James, and he quickly knocks them both on their ass. Yeah, yeah, when... um. When the guy like confronts him, I can't remember his exact line, but James says it's about like says like that's the stupidest thing you could have done right there. Um, and after he's done throwing punches, he he shakes his his coat back to like hold it a little bit better in his arm, and that's when you see the badge. I have my I did note, not even see that. I have my note. It's like I my note is because I wasn't sure at this point. I was like, is that a marshal's badge or a sheriff's badge? Is what my note is. Yeah. Huh. Um, totally missed that. Um, and like basically, he was saying like you're gonna throw a punch at me. You're punching the law. Yeah. And well, and, I was wondering why the guy ran. Mm-hmm. Didn't make sense to me. Yeah, because once he saw the badge, he was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> Based on their parting shouts of "Go back where you came from," I'm assuming the guy they were beating up was just an immigrant, and that's why he was yeah. getting beaten up. James asks Cully what the hell's happening here, and he's reluctant to explain, but eventually spills the beans. He tells James that the stock associations are hiring men to defend their cattle from rustlers. 
which is exactly what we saw earlier this year in Tom Horn, where we had Steve McQueen as the, I think stock he calls detective. him a stock detective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes and collects all of uh, Farnsworth's uh, cows that are being stolen. We cut from Casper to a beautifully adorned mansion where a butler is bringing refreshments to a group of the stock association men. One man among them addresses the crowd. Uh, this is Canton, played by Sam Waterston. And he complains that these immigrants are not the best, that they are murderers and rapists, and some of them he assumes are good people. Uh, moreover, he complains... <laughs> I'm sorry, it just took me a second. It's essentially what he says. No, I know. Well, I mean, throughout this whole movie, I was like, this is very prescient. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. our it's feeling, timely. Our feelings about immigrants here are... Have not changed a lot. Yeah, it's frustrating. Moreover, he complains that with a jury of their peers that they're hardly ever convicted for their crimes, citing as a statistic that in 180 cases, only one man was convicted and he was only found guilty of stealing the hide and bones of the missing animal. For some reason, Irvine from the graduation scene is seated amongst these men, laughing along to all of their racist jokes. The jury evidently took it for granted that the rest of the animal was still out roaming the range. (laughs) The Stock Association has a plan to wipe out these thieves and anarchists. They intend to employ 50 men and pay them $5 a day and $50 per cattle thief shot or hung. That sounds like a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. It does. Especially when you find out that there's 125 people. Yes. Yeah. So they, they, and they begin the endeavor with a list of all 125 thieves that they intend to kill without taking them to a trial or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole point. They have to kill them without a trial because if they give them a trial, then they'll get away with it because they have a jury of their peers. Uh, it, it also, uh, it says something that there were 180 cases and only one was convicted. It's entirely possible that 150 of these men were not guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a radical plan that even in this room, men are hesitant to approve of it. Irvine stands to criticize murdering people without trial, but the rest of the room has basically agreed to the plan by the end of his sentence. I'm not sure exactly what his job is. I'm assuming he's some kind of legal counsel. Irvine? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Be- be- because I'm only assuming that because he graduated from Harvard. Right. So like, that I'm sure that his education is of some importance for the situation. Um, but he, he doesn't seem to, and he's he's always there like in the front of the action yeah and so i'm not quite sure what his position is here yeah i mean it's it's repeatedly made clear that he doesn't uh prescribe to their mindset about what is happening here yeah but he doesn't leave ever that's mm-hmm. true the man <laughs> he has one of my favorite lines later too yeah <laughs> i mean i think maybe it has he does say a few times that he seems to be there because this is his class like mm-hmm. yeah. like and i think he means you know of of wealth he needs to stick with the the people that are the similar level to him yeah canton announces to the room that this plan already has the approval of the governor and the president they take a vote on the plan and it is passed unanimously because irvine just wanders out of the room seemingly drunk he's like sort of like i think he's drunk tipping over as he movie. walks out yeah mm-hmm. i think he is Upstairs, he finds James playing pool, and he's shocked. After a bit of catching up, James asks Irvine to come clean and tell him what the hell's going on. Irvine tells him everything about the death list, and the idea is so crazy that James thinks that they would never try it because they could never get away with it. In principle, everything can be done. James steps downstairs to surprise the men who blacklisted him from this establishment. 
James advises them not to kill anyone that they don't have an express written warrant for. For to kill, by the way. Like, yes. Not just a warrant for arrest, but a, a warrant for capture or kill. Yeah, kill on sight. Canton, the man speaking here today, slaps James for his insolence and is slapped so hard in return that he falls to the floor. <laughs> James <laughs> rides the new horse and carriage out to Ella's place. On the road there, he encounters the woman and her husband, who was beaten unconscious earlier. Apparently, the men from town caught back up with them and killed her husband. So now she's literally just pushing along this huge cart with her kids and her mm -hmm. husband's body on it. He promises her that he will find the men responsible, and then he rides off down the road ahead of her. And I kept thinking he was going to loop back to help her with his enormous heavy cart, but he doesn't. Nope. At night, Canton addresses a large group of men in a train yard. He informs them of the bounties on the heads of 125 thieves, anarchists, and outlaws. He needs 25 more men and repeats the prices he mentioned earlier. $5 a day, 50 per kill. This very much reminds me of the uh, Headley Lamar yes yeah <laughs> uh, uh recruitment who's paying him mister you don't worry about that who's paying i'm paying we cut to a man in a field stealing a cow and leveling a gun at it nate champion rides up to stop him because the man is fairly young nate lets him go but warns him away the man calls nate a traitor to his people as he rides off because he looks to him like an immigrant is he an immigrant i think he's supposed to be he he doesn't look or sound like an immigrant to mm. me based on the you know look and sound of the other immigrants in this film yeah i think that's because he's trying to pass for the other people and again a uh, hundred minutes of this movie had been cut and i'm very i, I want to know what is in those hundred minutes yeah we cut to a cockfight in the back room of a bar john bridges played by jeff bridges is walking around the room collecting bets we cut outside to the main street of Sweetwater in Johnson County and then back inside to a straight-up real cockfight. <laughs> There's two chickens that are Oof. in this ring and they're actually fighting each other. Yeah. They actually was... had razor talons, too. Yeah, it's I know. It's a real cockfight. It's straight-up 100% real, this whole scene, and it, 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 it is hard to watch. Yeah. A chicken is briefly injured between rounds and Bridges lifts it up and blows into its asshole before releasing <laughs> it back into the fight for round two. Bridges notices... <laughs> Why do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> it works, though. I guess I that's how it. you wake someone up. We'll find out tomorrow morning. <laughs> I tried it, and it works. <laughs> I was going to check in with you later, girl. It backfired. This, this was oh, a bit. God. That backfired. <laughs> backfire is the worst. Bridges notices Jim at the bar and steps away from the cockfight. He hands Bridges the gun he bought. I guess it was for him. Because he just tucks it behind the bar. Mm -hmm. It's not like this is a place where you're not allowed to have guns out. No, no, no. But uh, I think that one of the things he had to, that he asked him, hey, would you pick me up this? Yeah. Because he had a very specific order yeah. for it. Jim tells Bridges about the bounty on 125 heads. That's almost everybody in the county. Jim says they still have time yet to skip town when suddenly a large man bursts into the bar, gun in hand, and lifts a similarly dressed smaller man from the cockfight crowd. At first I was like, oh, I guess we don't have time. Like, so people are already just rushing in here to kill people. Uh, is this is this where we have the line, it's becoming very dangerous to be poor in this country? Yes. And I was like, damn. Yeah. That hits, that hits too close. Yeah. And then he says, it always has been. Uh, always will be, apparently. They argue a bit about property lines, these two men, 
and bad language used in mixed company james tries to break up the fight and take statements from each of the men the little guy says that they started fighting and then his wife cracked the big guy on the head with a rock and apparently he just came to like he just came here straight from regaining consciousness that, that's good you know being unconscious for several hours that's not a problem yeah, no <laughs> no issues there also there's a lot of spitting they're, they're just they like do spit back and forth they, they do a lot of like insult spitting but it's and, a it's the wild west so it doesn't mean as much yeah because you're already covered in filth they start fighting again and james gets physically between them we cut to james delivering the horse and carriage to a stable and knocking on the door of a cabin to surprise an excited woman she jumps him and they fall into bed together kissing this is ella watson a local madam she pours him a cup of tea and presents him with a pie i think it's my best one she expects him to eat the entire thing because it took a whole day to make. Tell me something. How do you manage to make a pie while taking care of business? And so she strips off all of her clothes and just gestures to herself naked like, I just make the pie naked. Uh, she runs off to the bedroom and he follows her. He tells her that he brought her a birthday present and that it's outside. So she wraps a blanket around herself and runs outside to see it. She's too nervous to go into the stable, so she has him take it out for her. The gift is the horse and the carriage together, and she screams with excitement waking many of the other women of the house who apparently just got to sleep. So it wasn't until this moment mm -hmm. that I realized what he meant by business. Cause yeah. I yeah. just thought he was talking about like, you know, cooking and cleaning yeah. and all this mm -hmm. other stuff that women have to do. But no, he, he legitimately meant business. Yep. And, and, and it was like, she's got a lot of sisters. Oh, wait a second. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the girls all come out of the house and run to pet the horse. We cut to Ella giving the carriage a test which, drive, which is not a euphemism. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's a real horse uh, she drives this like a maniac she's not following jack burton's rule of never driving faster than you can see when she races into town she nearly tips the carriage making a u-turn in front of the church where a crowd is assembling for a group photo when the photographer says one more time she loops around again and then races out of town a man by the church cheers for her ride that son of a bitch ella at which point he realizes he just admitted to knowing this prostitute's name in front of his <laughs> wife and the whole church and she starts slapping at him they take the carriage to the river and Ella bathes in it. She walks out of the water nude to wake him up. James asks what she thinks about leaving Wyoming. You son of a bitch. Is that what the present was for? He asks if she'll go and she asks, alone? And he confirms. By alone, it seems clear that he wouldn't leave with her. But this sparks some questions later as to what exactly alone meant. Yeah, we had an argument about yeah. it when the, when alone came up because your first instinct was not he don't bring the girls. Don't bring the girls. We'll leave. And my first instinct was no. He just wants her to leave so and she's safe and he's her. not gonna go with her because he's the sheriff. Apparently, yep. Turns out he's got stuff to do. Sheriff of the county. We cut to a skating rink where a fairly young man does laps while playing a mean fiddle. This man, who doesn't seem over 20 years old, is the film's composer, David Mansfield. He was 23 during production, and it was his first feature film score. He didn't work again until Chimino's next film, Year of the Dragon, in 1985. A huge crowd of people move out onto the rink after Mansfield joins the band at the front of the room. Bridges and Ella roll towards the doors to throw up as the song ends. <laughs> James has to carry Bridges to a wagon because he's falling down drunk. When James gets back inside, the rest of the crowd is all gone. Yeah, it seems like a very, very short party. Yeah. I mean, I think that... I think it's just stylistic. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I I was going through a little bit on IMDb and somebody called it out as a goof, you know, like a, like they messed up. And I'm like, no, this was clearly done 
on purpose. Yeah, and when when Ella and Bridges go for the back door, it's because people are letting out. And so I think there's more than one exit and people are going out the other exit mm-hmm. while he's taking care yeah. of Bridges. Yeah, time, time has passed, even though time hasn't passed in the film for us. Right. We don't yeah. need to see everybody leaving. Uh, I, I like the setup of this kind of like town hall gathering place that has a big old potbelly stove in the center with piping yeah. right. that goes around to, to carry the heat throughout the bu- building. Yeah, so it's I don't very think cool. they ever say it, but this is Heaven's Gate. It's written mm-hmm. on the outside of the, of the yeah, 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 yeah. But since they're alone now in the tent, the but the band is still there performing, they play a song for just Ella and James to dance to. In United Artists' Shorter Cut, released the following year, literally every scene on roller skates was cut from the film, which is ironic because we learn here as James and Ella are leaving that this is the Heaven's Gate from the title. And so when we never see that in the other cut of the movie, you're like, why is, why is it called that? that? I don't like the title anyways. Like, I don't think that this place plays a particularly important role in the film. I th- I think it does as a gathering place for the, the wrestlers. The and the, yeah. yeah, I mean, I still think that the like calling it it was jackson county or jefferson county the, or? yeah the johnson johnson county, johnson johnson county. county. and the it, town of sweetwater yeah i think either of those names are more important to the movie because it's all about the people of this county yeah i think the the original title the johnson county war would have been the best one right which was actually used for like a mini series or something later about this sure same concept yeah. yeah james asks her again to leave the town and later that night, Nate and some of the other men from the Stock Association stop into Ella's place. Ella asks them how they'll be paying. Cash or kettle? Doesn't hurt a long twos enough. Can still hold a mirror on that. Other immigrants and rustlers at Ella's try to sneak out of the back door, but are confronted by Nate. He asks if they paid in cash, and they assure him they did before rushing out. Ella pours Nate a coffee and starts cleaning a gun. Nate comments on all the cows he saw out back. I'd awful appreciate it if you'd stop taking cattle as pay. Ella tells him Jim is in town, and Nate asks if he's here. She says he's sleeping upstairs, and Nate moves upstairs to pay him a visit. Nate sits down in a chair next to the bed that Jim is sleeping in, and then carries him out of this building all the way to Bridges' place, which is a bedroom in, like, the back of a huge barn crowded mm-hmm. with immigrants. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, Ella thanks nate for doing this because one she can't work if a bed in a bed that's occupied right yeah um but also that that uh avril has a uh tendency to fall asleep drunk yes and so he he they carry him away and uh john bridges says i'll i'll look after him for the night thank you so much for bringing him out here nate heads back to ella's and watches her tally up her earnings She puts out her hand for money before climbing into bed with him, and he seems insulted by this. Nate tells her that she should quit this work because he can provide for her, and she says, well, that sounds like a proposal. But he's practically falling asleep where he sits, and he doesn't respond to her. She tells Nate that Jim asked her to leave with him, but I'm not certain that is what he said. She might just be luring Nate into a proper proposal. The next morning at Bridges Bar, a group of men tell Jim that they've lost another man in the night to the bounty hunters. Nate enters the bar, and Jim shares his thoughts on Ella leaving town. Nate wonders what he's supposed to do if she leaves, and James is like, I don't care about you. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what relevance is that to me? Bridges moves behind the bar and levels his new gun on Nate's back in case this conversation goes south. The men argue for a bit, and Nate leaves. Later, Nate watches women plowing a field with a fellow bounty hunter, and he talks about how gross they are. We break our backs out here. 
and Della breaks her back on these hunky mud fuckers. Nate drops the guy and puts a gun in his face for talking that way about Ella. We cut to a baseball game in the middle of a field, and it reminded me of the only funny scene in The Ridiculous Six. Did you ever see that movie? No. The Netflix Adam Sandler movie? John Turturro is Abner Doubleday, inventor of baseball, or as he calls it in the scene, Sticky McSchnickens. <laughs> and he's playing in a field like this uh, in the 1800s. And as he plays, he's changing the rules of the game so that he can cheat at it. Okay, that's two past you. So you're done, right? No, no, I, I said three times. No, you said two. I said three. Three strikes and I'm out. I know what I said, shortstop. <laughs> that's your new name. Shortstop, that's right. Now and forever, forever and ever, shortstop. Shortstop, shortstop, shortstop. Later in the game, he starts stealing bases. Where you going? Nobody hit it. I stole the base. You weren't looking, so I stole it. You said you could only advance after you hit the ball. Not when you're stealing. That's bullshit. Okay, shortstop. Back to Heaven's Gate, though. A guy in the outfield, Captain Minardi, twists his ankle and collapses when Jim and the president of the Chamber of Commerce, Mr. Eggleston, played by Brad Dorif, write up, Mr. Eggleston informs Minardi of the incoming army of mercenaries and commands him to put Company C of the National Guard on alert in Johnson County. Minardi has a standing order from the governor to ignore Eggleston's commands. Seems balls are getting scarce as hen's teeth in the army. Jeff asks Minardi if he has the death list, and apparently this dude's just walking around with it on him because he pulls yep. it right out of his pocket. That seems terrifying yeah well i mean i'm sure there's a lot of copies floating around right but he's also playing baseball with people on this list it's just weird like you get knocked out and somebody goes through your pockets trying to rob you and they're like oh it's a list of me and my family to get murdered fuck this guy jim finds ella watson's name on the list on account of taking stolen cattle in exchange for carnal pleasures Jim goes right into Ella's place and finds Nate at the kitchen table. They start beating the shit out of each other until Ella comes in, and Jim tells her what's going on. The association's got a death list. And your name's on it. Nate's known the whole time and didn't say shit. She mentions that her father died on a death list, too. Nate feigns ignorance and reminds her that he just proposed marriage to her. Jim is shocked to see that Ella is even considering the proposal, from the team that wants her dead. Now, is he feigning in ignorance? I, I feel like his performance could lends itself either way, and I wasn't sure. He's already killed people on the list. Well, he's been killing people left and right anyway. Right, but he's doing them. it. He's doing it for the Stock Owners Association. There's no way they didn't give him the list. He's their number yeah. one killer. Yeah, I'm sure he has the list. Right. He had to know. But he's just like, I don't know what he's talking about. But I think that he probably was of the mind that if he married her he could save her right mm. or that if he was on the list with her he convinced he could convince her to stop doing this and therefore she wouldn't have anything to be punished for anymore no exactly that's what i'm saying right it's yeah. just like if she's a married woman she doesn't need to be in business anymore and she could he could get her off the list jim leaves and nate takes ella out to a cabin in the middle of nowhere outside the cabin they find nick ray played by mickey rourke and he says that they have a guest who he met hunting wolves before they head inside, he tells her that he wallpapered the place since she was last here, and she's amused because she can't imagine where he found wallpaper. The guest comes out, and it's Jeffrey Lewis as <laughs> Trapper Fred. When we get inside, we see that the wallpapers are just papered with newspaper. It's the same as that shack where Sib was tutoring the garbage kids in My Brilliant Career earlier this year. Nate moves around tidying up for her, but it's still very gross in here. 
He thinks having trash glued to the walls makes it look more civilized, though. We cut back to the train station just as the train blows by instead of stopping. Cully screams at the passing train and then puts his ear to the scalding tracks. <laughs> and he can hear that the train stopped just around the corner. I do like this moment where he's like, "What? where is that train going? It seemed like it was slowing down. And he puts his ear to the, the tracks to yeah, see where like, it stopped, uh, but he burns himself. It's like, <laughs> Fletch, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your fits are valve. Uh, but I, I do like that Cully knows his trade. Like yes. He's just yeah, like, yeah. oh, they stop. And he checks his watch it's to like, see like how long it's been yeah. since it went by. Yeah. So he knows he knows how far away it is. He knows that this is unusual. And he knows what that means. Yeah. And so he can hear that the train stopped around the corner. He's confused about it. But then he puts together something's going on. Something that's not good. And so he hops on a horse to get the fuck out of Dodge. Men start piling out of the stopped train and racing on horseback towards Johnson County. Irvine is still with them, despite seemingly being a good guy briefly at the beginning of the film. A man catches Cully sleeping at the top of a hill on his way to Johnson County, and he wakes him up. When Cully tries to leave on horseback, he comes face to face with 50 men on horseback, and they shoot him off his horse and to death. So I wasn't clear in this moment. Is he on the list? No. I, I, I think that they're killing him because he was going to warn the people on the list. I, I know that, that but but how did they know that? How would they know that any random dude that they found sleeping on a hillside was going to warn people? I think some of them knew who he was, that he was Cully, that he works at the train station. And someone even asks him, hey, who's, who's minding the train? And he says, oh, somebody's taking care of it. And they're like... Yeah. You're halfway between yeah. the train station and Johnson County. You know what we're doing. Yeah. He and, and one of the traits that he has that I that I like is he calls everybody citizen. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that that's just a like like all the immigrants, all all anybody. He, yeah. They are all referred to as citizen, and I just really like that. Yeah. Sounds like an NPC. <laughs> it takes four or five shots to kill this guy because the dude shooting him is a lousy shot. Back in Nate's cabin, Fred is entertaining everyone with his hunting tactics, including. If a wild animal attacks you, grab its tongue. They can't do shit. He proves it by grabbing Nick's tongue. <laughs> you know, I'm going to like be camping one day, and there's going to be a bear, and I'm going to have to try this. I've heard a story <laughs> about a guy who did this. Really? That he grabbed a bear's tongue, and, and he basically just pushed his arm into the bear's mouth, and the bear couldn't breathe around his, like, because he completely filled his mouth, so he didn't have any leverage to pinch with, mm-hmm. and he just like held the bear's nose until the bear suffocated or something no like that. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, I figured I was just gonna die testing this theory. Well, you will, but <laughs> well, I will. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> the hard part is getting your hand in there at the right mm-hmm. angle. But he proves that it works by grabbing Nick's tongue. Now it happens when you let go. Kills you. <laughs> Ella tells Nate that she has made her decision and gets in the carriage to leave. Nate asks if he'll ever see her again, and she says, maybe, which sure seems to imply that she chose Jim, but Nate doesn't seem very upset about this at all. I don't, I don't know what that implies. I don't, I, even towards the end, I don't know what her decision is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bridges invites Jim to speak to the townspeople at the Heaven's Gate roller rink. He tells them everything, and they are understandably terrified. Now, they're all holding up sheets of paper, which I'm assuming is their rightful land ownership right. papers, because- they were because earlier in the film we had a prop a discussion about property lines right yeah. um and i'm sure that they're trying to say hey we we're like homesteaders we we have a right to this property yeah and they're trying to show like hey we have like a legal claim uh we got a bill of sale right here no anyone peace dragon all right and uh <laughs> you know but it doesn't matter like yeah. the, ultimately that that's just a piece of paper 
And on top of that, because the story is so radical, they doubt parts of it, specifically the list of 125 names. And they're like, oh, if there's a if there's a list, why don't you just start reading the list? And so he just pulls it out of his pocket and he gets about 20 names into it as the crowd is just losing their shit around him. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, the name that really sets them all off is Ella's because they're all customers of Ella's, I guess. But uh, Well, and I think that it's also probably infuriating to them because they probably know that a lot of themselves are innocent, but they all know that Ella's not out there stealing cattle. Yeah. She might have accepted cattle, but that's not necessarily like a crime. If somebody comes to me with stolen goods, I don't, you know. I If you don't know. If you don't know, it's not a crime. But if you're a fence or if you're a money launderer or something, then it is your problem still. Um, which she kind of is a money launderer because she knows that these cows are illicit. Yeah. They're hot cows. It's true. And and if they're branded. Yeah. Ella is dropped off at her place, but when she gets inside, she finds a group of the association's men waiting for her in her den. She takes all their hats and requests payment in advance. They tell her that they have paid in full with all the cattle that she's laundered, and the three men start tearing her clothes off to rape her. We cut to Jim walking around on the roof of the building. He finds all the other girls raped and murdered in their rooms. Oof, that shot. Yeah. yeah. It's brutal. And then we see there's like a lookout that's just watching in on the rape that doesn't even get to participate. He just likes to watch. And Jim kills this guy first, which is what you're supposed to do. And then he busts into the room and shoots all three men that are trying to rape her, including one that just books it out the window. And then he gets that guy with a rifle as he's running away. But I love this shot where he's pointing the rifle out the window and we're looking through all these pink flowers and the the focus is on the flowers in the foreground as you see the guy running away and he yeah. hits that guy. He d- I don't think he does though. I, does he not? No. So there's a, oh, there's is a that scene the guy later. in the tent? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. But he, he hits him at least because he, he shoots him, him and you hear the guy go, yeah. ah, but maybe he doesn't kill the guy. Seconds later, Nate bursts in with his men and Jim says, maybe you understand better the kind of people you're working for now tragedy nate you people were in the right legally but they just threw that away which i feel like is the whole moral of this story and it's like yes these people were doing a wrong thing but what you're doing is 10 times worse than the wrong thing they were Mm -hmm. doing nate leaves and jim carries ella out jim carries (laughs) nate (laughs) catches it's like it's like in penguins yeah Yeah. (laughs) You jack men the battle stations. Kevin, bake on. We're still going to need that victory cake. Nate catches up with the rest of the association's men and asks who gave the orders to attack Ella, and somebody mentions it was Canton. Nate walks into Canton's tent, and before anyone can say a word, he just puts a bullet through the forehead of Canton's second-in-command. This is the guy, I'm assuming, that escaped out the window. The rest of the tent is weirdly calm about it. Canton says, I have nothing to say to you. (laughs) You better have a guaranteed warrant for every name on that list. He accuses Major Canton of being a coward for not killing these men himself. Canton reels off his professional qualifications and his family's proximity to former and current presidents. Mr. Champion, my grandfather was the Secretary of War to Harrison. His brother was a governor of the state of New York. My brother-in-law is the Secretary of State. And to you... I represent the full authority of the government of the United States and the president. Fuck him, too. Bravo, sir. I've had about enough of your shit, too, Billy. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. 
Uh, Billy Irvine in the back is still pretending to be a good guy. Pick a side, asshole. You're driving me crazy. Yeah. Canton stomps out of the tent, grabs a gun, and shoots the nearest prisoner in the head. Proving, proving, cause, well, because Nate, Nate says, you ever have any, you ever kill anybody? You had a problem with killing? Yeah. Uh, and so Canton goes out to prove his own resolve. Yeah. Because he's this. a sociopath. Yeah. Um, it, it should also be noted that Frank Canton, the real Frank Canton, was actually a lawman. Yeah. Um, and this, but in this version of the story, he's being portrayed as a, a cattle baron. Right. We cut to Ella's place at night. Jim is sitting at the dinner table and Ella is packing all her shit. Her most prized possession seems to be her accounting books. We gotta know who owes you. You can't just, you can't just let all those debts slide. I don't think you do a lot of this on uh, on a tab. Jim is depressed to learn that after the death list and not protecting her from rape, she's still in love with both him and Nate. Ella cares too much about her stuff to leave town with Jim still. He repeatedly kicks her pile of stuff on the floor. Jim has an easier time throwing away possessions because he comes from money, but Ella has had to scrimp and save for every scrap she has, and she can't honestly decide what matters more to her, this pile of stuff or surviving the week. She informs Jim that she never cheated on him, by which she means that she always charged Nate for all the sex they had, which might not have been that much because I don't think Nate is super rich. This love triangle is a perfect metaphor for American capitalism. The poor guy can barely afford the sex with his fiance, but the rich guy's just getting it for free. She lets Jim down as easily as she can, which amounts to basically saying, you are my second favorite person on the planet, and then Jim gets up to leave and kisses her goodbye. Jim heads out to the horse stable, where a full-time stable violinist is performing. <laughs> what? There's just a guy sitting out there playing well, the it's violin. The same guy it's the same that guy from the, right, from but the roller rink. I don't know why he's living in the I don't know why he's barn, there. But. Well, he, he, he seems to live in the whorehouse, because when he when uh he came along when they went out to his house yeah and when avril first got there with the horse and carriage and the girls came out complaining about making too much noise he was trying to trying to get them back into the house yeah and he says you have enough time wrangling them decory like because that's character's name is decory yeah that's the that's our composer um and so it just it just seems like he's always around in a in a jay and silent bob-esque kind yeah. of way like that he's just in the scene you know it'd be really interesting as if he was just a violinist that got cast as the violinist for heaven's gate first and then after a bunch of other composers fell through they were like hey can you write this like while he was on set i feel like that's probably what happened i'm trying to i mean like obviously there was music in that scene i'm trying to remember any of the rest of the score and i and i don't a lot of the score is variations on on existing titles okay so, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's plausible that... Because they had a lot of musicians on set. We'll get to a yeah. bunch more in the, yeah, yeah. in the credits, too. Jim heads back to Bridges' place to crash for the night. The next morning, the town is buzzing with activity. A crowd of men parade into Jim's room at Bridges' place, and when they wake him up, he swings a whip across the room, just over everybody's heads. <laughs> Apparently, for the wide shot, they did like 50 takes of this. And a couple times he hit people in the room with this whip, and one time he hit himself in the face. I believe it. Like, I was surprised. That it's a huge whip. It, it looked like people got hit in the shot that yeah. they kept in the film. Everybody seems equally shocked that this just happened. The men in his room are the townspeople who have decided not to fight for their lives. Instead, they intend to make a deal with the association to surrender peaceably and turn in 
the men who intend to defend themselves. Jim tries to argue with the leader of these men that Johnson County is worth fighting for. There are 50 men, Charlie. Together, you're 200. Your, your hopes are exaggerated. In the end, they will, they will get it all anyway. And if it takes 100 years, but, but they will get it. The guy says, you know, you're fired, you're out. Uh, right. He, <laughs> but then he pulls, he, he really high roads and was like, you can't fire me because I quit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, are you really trying to like one up him in this situation? <laughs> well, that's why. At, and at that line, I was like, wait a minute. Was he the mayor? Because he was like, you're fired. I'm the mayor. And I was like, are you saying that you just like fire the mayor and yeah. became the mayor? Or are you is he someone that a mayor can fire because <laughs> i still was not clear that he was a sheriff and nope. i yeah and i don't think that the mayor can fire a county sheriff no you have to kill him it's like santa claus right yeah <laughs> but then you become the sheriff well that's what happens in the westerns they pick the star out of the mud and yeah yeah i don't know why it just falls off when the people die that's weird it's like that's it's a way to determine that mm. someone's dead or alive you just push a sheriff's badge on them and if it falls off <laughs> trapper fred walks away from nate's shack toward the tree line and is suddenly surrounded by the association's men he isn't on the kill list and canton orders him to collect the two men inside and make them surrender i do like when he first comes out the, this voice that he's doing kills me that jeffrey lewis is doing mm-hmm. when he comes out he's like i was just gonna go take a bath in the river are you gonna take a bath <laughs> it's just like doesn't know what's going on and then a bunch more people come up over the hill and he's like oh shit I just can't take a bath. Uh, Fred goes back into the cabin for a moment, presumably just to warn his friends, and then he comes out screaming to draw the fire from the men, while Nate and Nick start to shoot back from inside the house. Ella is racing across the bridge toward Nate's place and firing a handgun at the armed men guarding the path, and she kills a guy right off the bridge. Mm-hmm. Canton manages to shoot the wooden frame, connecting her carriage to her horse, and so she jumps up to the horse just as the carriage breaks loose behind her. She sees Nate shot down outside the house and continues to ride through the gunfire. Nick drags Nate back into the house, and one of the men nearly gets a kill shot, but Irvine tackles him to the ground for some reason. Like, giving himself away is like, oh no, I'm the good guy on the bad guy team, but I tackled you, so my friend survived. Nick takes a shot in the chest through the door and dies right next to Nate, who is only wounded. The men set Nate's house on fire, and so Nate starts to write something down as his cabin is burning around him. He comes out with a small stool to block the hailstorm of bullets, but he gets shredded like Sonny Corleone at a toll booth. We cut back to the roller rink, and Bridges is trying to rally the troops. The I, people, sorry, I get so distracted when you say Bridges because I'm just like, I know you. <laughs> like sometimes you refer to characters by the actor's name just because it's easier to remember yeah. than the yeah. character's name. That's why I'm going with Bridges. Because <laughs> it's just, it's it's pulling double duty on A lot of one. the time I, I just use the person's first name, like like I'm doing for Nate or for Jim. But because w- it's Bridges, I'm just like, eh, whatever, right. his name's Bridges and it's putting that face in your head. Yeah, but it was more confusing when you're saying John Bridges. Like, no, it's Jeff, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> you want to correct me constantly. <laughs> People are trying to argue that they should make a deal with the association to survive, but Eggleston points out, how that would be counter to the association's wishes. What they want is a legal way to kill everyone here, and they want the land, and they hate immigrants. It's not like they're going to make a deal that's beneficial to both parties. So, I mean, they are implying, and I don't know how much of this is the real history, they're implying 
that these guys are stealing cattle, which is why they're on the list. Right, right. But are we to assume that there are more people on this list than have stolen cattle, and it's and it's and it is a pretense to steal their land? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He seems to have united the people of Johnson County against the association when suddenly Ella rides in on horseback to tell everyone that the men are here. The citizenry begin to arm themselves, and Ella runs up to Jim's room at Bridges' place. She tells Jim that Nate is dead, as though that changes things between them. Yeah, and she's like, Nate's dead, and I'm here for you. It's like, oh, so now that your other guy's gone. Right. So, like, at this point, I feel like we never really understood her decision. Like, was it, which one did she chose Nate. I don't know about that. Because she just said, she said maybe to him. Yeah, but then she was going back to him from Jim. They they had basically, he had kissed her goodbye and walked out the door. And she was going back to Nate. When I he guess. Was shot. I guess, maybe. Okay. People still seem to be arguing in the roller rink when Charlie, the man arguing against a militia, suddenly gets his ear blasted off by a gunshot and the crowd erupts. They all spill outside and onto horses to wage an attack. Jim watches all this from an upstairs window, not wanting to take part. The people are riding so aggressively that a carriage flips on the bridge and a woman is thrown over the side and crushed by the carriage into the water. This this whole first attack is a clusterfuck. Yeah. There's just too many people. They're kicking up too much dust. Well, and they're riding in the wrong direction of circles. So you can't shoot because every time you want to shoot, you're going to hit someone who's riding in the opposite direction. And and so, like, no one is is actively, effectively shooting. This woman who gets crushed, her husband is trying to rescue her, but more men on horseback are racing through the water and they can't even see what he's doing. Finally, a guy stops to help him flip the cart over, but it looks like it's too late. I don't even know how they shot the scene with her falling off and going into the mm-hmm. river because it legit just looks like she falls off the cab the cab, and, and into the river and gets like run over. Lots of people were injured on the set of this I movie. I wouldn't doubt that that was something that actually happened because yeah. it I I don't the woman was a live woman and it wasn't like a dummy that fell off that cart. That's true. The locals circle their horses around a tree in a field, not unlike the tree at the Harvard campus, which is the only connection that it has to oh, the rest of the movie. Right. I well, guess that's why they did that. That makes sense. So yeah, so it's it's like them forming the, again, the opposite rotating circles, like the men who were guarding the tree were dancing around, yeah, forming their opposing rotations. Yeah, it's definitely supposed to remind us of that, but other than just the slight visual, mm-hmm. it doesn't really add much to the scene. Well, I, I think it might have been helpful. I didn't really understand that scene at the beginning. I don't either. And. So I'm like, who are these people attacking? Who are these people defending? Maybe what part is of it this is flower in the tree. <laughs> maybe the point is that even at this, you know, prestigious university, one of the most prestigious in the country, that we're still teaching people how to fight each other, that like it's, the proper it's way. Class wars, and yeah. those are the freshmen, and these mm-hmm. are the seniors, yeah. and you know, these are the poor people, and these are the rich people. Both teams are firing back and forth, but it's incredibly difficult to tell who's on which team. Uh, especially through all this dust they're kicking up. Bridges urges Ella repeatedly to get the hell out of here. I thought I saw Bridges get shot here. Yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, that sucks. He's dead. And then like three scenes later, he shows up again. I was like, oh, okay. He's all right, I guess. (laughs) Uh, He didn't even look shot later, but I was so sure that he got shot in the gut and fell off the horse. A little girl brought along for the fight for some reason is shot down in the dirt. Uh, Irvine is just standing in the middle of the gunfight talking about how much he loves Paris. I, I kind of hate this character. Yeah, but I love this line. He's, he's just like looking at the chaos and goes, Last year I was in Paris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, 
he's just so done with yeah. everything. He also has this line that's like, it's like, there's so many of them. We can't kill them all. They're not Indians. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's just this guy's a monster. Finally, someone shoots him in the throat. Uh, Canton leaves to get reinforcements, and Ella leaves to find Nate's corpse beside his smoldering cabin. Back in the bar, Jim carries his gun and his briefcase, and he gets on a horse. He sees Earsploded Guy in the stable and is so distracted that he forgets to grab his luggage on his way out of town. I don't think that that is the case. In my mind, he was about to leave town. He saw that, and he changed his mind. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but he also seems in shock a little bit because he's like, spinning around outside of the cabin like yeah, what am yeah, i gonna do i'm here? just the way the way you read it it made it sound like he was just forgetful and not making a conscious choice to be like that's upsetting i'm gonna go deal with this yeah we cut back to the man by the bridge cradling his dead wife uh jim rides past him and catches up with ella over nate's body she found that last note that he wrote and hands it to jim it don't look as if there's much chance of my getting away I hope they did not hurt Ella. The house is all fired. Goodbye, Ella and Jim, if I never see you again. Nathan D. Jim. Jim tells Ella to wait for him at her place, and then he trots off to the fight. That night, things are quiet. People are building fortifications in the dark. Jim finds the militia camp and waits with them. In the early morning, Jim races a circle around the bad guys. Well, uh, when they're building the uh, the 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 weapons of war that they will be using, yeah. one of the uh, family members comes up to him and says, "This is a pretty good idea." Is like, "Yeah, the Romans used them," yeah. which which will lead into a line that yep. I liked later. <laughs> in the early morning, Jim races in a circle around the bad guys, and suddenly the Johnson County people are rolling these huge barricades towards the association's camp. Wolcott canton's major recognizes the tactic immediately from ancient rome he goes goddamn romans <laughs> <laughs> those goddamn romans uh the association's men fire from behind a circle of tipped wagons at the men behind these barricades who are shooting back the barricade walls are rolling toward them now from all sides explosives are being tossed into the association camp the scene quickly gets too smoky to make out what's happening Dynamite is exploding with insane frequency, and people and horses are being tossed through the air by it. And it's really great dynamite explosions. It's not giant fireballs of gasoline yeah. that you see in Hollywood movies. It's just it's just big blasts of hot air yeah. throwing dirt up in the air, and that's what happens with dynamite. A man falls behind the barricade, and then the back wheels are slowly pushed over his legs. Ugh. Uh, one of the association men manages to throw a stick of dynamite back at a barricade and it takes out 10 or 15 people in one go eggleston gets a bullet in the brain unless i'm mistaken a woman shoots the man getting run over by the cart to put him out of his misery Mm -hmm. canton arrives with his reinforcements from the u.s cavalry and the fight is over they claim that the men from the association are under arrest and will be safely transported away but everyone here can just go back to their lives nothing to see here so they're pretending to arrest the bad guys. Yeah, I was confused about that. I'm like, who are yeah. they arresting? Yeah, <laughs> but they're just basically saying, oh, these guys are the bad guys. They're under arrest, so you can't shoot at them because they're in our custody. Yeah. And there's almost no one left on either side. Yeah, it's yeah. very few people. Yeah, but and, and I'm abbreviating it here, obviously, but this fight goes on for 25, yeah, it, almost it, 30 minutes. It, it's, it's insane. I, I was so upset by the fight, by people just getting it's so shot realistic. and 
and uh, uh, I was just like, every time something went wrong with no, oh no, like uh, like when the like whenever they were trying to throw the dynamite and and they were holding it too long and yeah, you grab get him and pull the fuse out because like yeah. he's yelling at him, you're holding it too yeah, long. But vice versa, the woman threw the dynamite and it and it, and she threw it too soon. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's the one the that got time. that's the one that got picked up and thrown right back at her and yeah. she yeah. blew up. And like <laughs> there's this like this guy who's recording everything. He's got like a like a foldable table yeah. in, in quill and ink, and he's yeah. trying to like record things, and he gets blown away. It's like, thank you, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Merchant of Death. The association's men are all escorted away, and half the town is dead, but they're expected to just, oh, get back to work. Everyone go back to your jobs. Uh, vacation's over. The woman who put the guy out of his misery does the same for herself with a rifle in her mouth. Jim heads to Ella's, and later, Bridges follows him there. Jim and Ella get all dressed up, and Bridges takes their luggage to give them a ride. Well, so as they're getting dressed up, Ella's putting on this all-white mm-hmm. outfit. Yeah. And I'm like, you only put on an all-white outfit at the end of a movie like this for one reason. For the blood to pop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or to get married. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a little of column A and a little column B. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and so so I saw this coming. Yes. But it does not lose its effect especially because as soon as the gunfire starts it's loud yeah it's real loud on the track jumped yeah the second they walked out but uh bridges gets it first uh he gets shot in the chest and then almost right away ella gets a couple in the chest and it's just shocking yeah like this scene i don't i don't know how it's so shocking when when you see it coming it's just it is it's it's impactful yeah uh jim is able to return fire and he hits a couple the two of the three guys one of them is canton so they mm-hmm. do kill canton don't worry yeah. Yeah, yeah canton dies in this movie uh ella dies there in jim's arms and the men on the hill seem satisfied having killed two of the three of them, and the last guy just scampers off. Well, I, I don't think it's a matter of satisfaction. It's like, oh, we just killed the money man. They just killed the guy who's going to pay us. Now no uh, one's going to pay us. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, that does There's... make sense. We cut to Newport, Rhode Island, 1903, as a ship is floating off the coast. Jim is walking across the deck of a fancy yacht because he is made of money. He heads below deck where we see a woman asleep in a chair. The woman is his Harvard girlfriend from the start of the film, and they're both aged up with makeup so that I could barely tell it was her for sure. I had no idea who this woman was. At first yeah. I was like, did Ella survive? That's what I was sitting there thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, did she survive? Is that her? Is she laying weird on this bed because she's paralyzed? Yeah. What is happening? But it's not her. It's just he went back to marry someone from his own class and live on a yacht because he's done with the American West. I, I guess. But I've, you know, like I was trying to make sense of this last scene. I could have done totally without this last scene, but I was trying to make sense of it. I was like did is this a dream but why would they be old if it was yeah. a dream or like heaven and, there's also, and then it's a and dream it's all know. practical but the first shot of him walking on the deck against the water mm-hmm. looks green screened yeah like there's a really dark outline around him but that's just the way the lighting was that day a butler brings them a tray of stuff and she asks jim for a cigarette he lights it for her and then he steps out of the room and stands on the deck to watch the sunset and that's the end of our film Writer-director Michael Cimino, he wrote Silent Running in 72 and Magnum Force in 73. He directed Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and Deer Hunter on its way to this. He took the next five years off directing, abandoning plans for an adaptation of Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead at Warner Brothers and an adaptation of Frederick Manfred's 
Conquering Horse, a generational epic filmed entirely in the Sioux language. He returned to the director's chair in 85 for Year of the Dragon. Our DP here, Vilmo Sigmund, he was the DP for Deer Hunter, Close Encounters, The Long Goodbye, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Blowout, Real Genius, Witches of Eastwick, The Two Jakes, Maverick, Ghost in the Darkness, Jersey Girl, and Black Dahlia. He's brilliant. Every frame of this movie is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The skies are beautiful. The light, like, uh, he used all these smoke machines and this special, like, dust powder that would, yeah. that made the pictures, it made it look like old, old photographs. And, uh, it's just gorgeous. And Everything. almost all the lighting is natural lighting. Yeah. It's very close to a Barry Lyndon situation. Yeah. Like, the, there, there's so much dim, but, but adequately lit dim, like, that I believe that it's a candlelight it's not yes. it's not like an old western where i see a lamplight but there's some and there's key a light. light on it yeah, yeah exactly like i believe that this room feels lit by that yeah. light our composer david mansfield played john decory he was the skating violinist he this was his first composer credit but his second acting credit after playing the son in ronaldo and clara written and directed by bob dylan two years earlier he came back for chimino's year of the dragon five years later he also scored the apostle and Transamerica with Felicity Huffman, coincidentally the name of United Artists' parent company who sold the studio in the wake of this film's disastrous performance. Chris Christofferson played James Averill. This movie kind of tanked his acting career, and he focused more on his music afterwards. He does appear as Whistler in the Blade movies. He's Bronson in Payback, Mace Montana in Big Top Pee Wee, and he's also in the 76 Star is Born. Next year we'll see him in Rollover. Uh, I I really like uh, Millennium. Oh yeah, that's a With great the airplanes. movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. He's also isn't he in the Tim Burton uh, Planet of the Apes? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think he was in that. Christopher Walken was Nathan D. Champion. He was Nick in The Deer Hunter. He's Annie Hall's brother, Dwayne Hall. We'll see him next in Dogs of War, which Chimino was originally set to direct, and Pennies from Heaven. Obviously not scared of the word heaven in movie titles. He's also in Dead Zone, View to a Kill, Batman Returns, True Romance, Wayne's World 2, Pulp Fiction, The Prophecy Movies, Joe Dirt, and apparently he shows up in that big Lebowski sequel, The Jesus Rolls, that came out last year. Mm. He's also in one of my favorite Spike Jones music videos for Fat Boy Slim's Weapon of Choice. And he's hosted Saturday Night Live seven times, where he often appears as the pepe le pew-esque lead of the continental sketches which are shot in the pov of a woman trying to escape his apartment john hurt was william c irvine he's kane and alien we just had him as merrick in the elephant man uh which by the way he left to shoot elephant man and came back between shooting scenes for this movie that's how slow the production was he wrapped up some scenes and then he took a break to go shoot the entire elephant man movie and then came back um, he's also Ollivander in Harry Potter and Professor Broom in the Hellboy series. Sam Waterston was Frank Canton. We just had him as Joe Cutter in Hopscotch, not to be confused with Toe Cutter from Mad Max. <laughs> he's also in Capricorn 1, The Great Gatsby, The Killing Fields, a shitload of Law and & Order, and he's also the spokesperson for Old Glory Robot Insurance. <laughs> I'm Sam Waterston of the popular TV series Law & Order. As a senior citizen, you're probably aware of the threat robots pose. Brad Dorif was Mr. Eggleston. He's Billy Bibbit in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Raymond in Blue Velvet. Peter DeVries in 
Dune, the original Dune. He's also the voice of Chucky. He's the Gemini Killer in Exorcist 3. He's Doc Cochran in Deadwood. And he's Sheriff Brackett in the Rob Zombie Halloweens. I I mean, he looks just like his Doc Cochran yeah. character here. And so it must have been just like reliving this when he got the role on Deadwood because it's yeah. such a similar feel to it. I also want to mention uh, one of my favorite roles from him in the X-Files episode, Beyond the Sea. Oh, with, with Scully's dad? Yeah. Yeah. He's great in that. He's he's also a serial killer in that, right? Because he was in prison on death row. Correct. But yeah. he can he can talk to ghosts and mm-hmm. tell her what her dad said. I'm sure David Milch saw him in this and was like, "I want you to have the same exact facial hair. <laughs> I want same you to little just... glasses. Yeah, like, but here you're gonna be like this cranky doctor that knows what's right." Isabelle Huppert was Ella Watson. She's a prolific French actress, but I'm unfortunately not familiar with a lot of her work besides appearing in I Heart Huckabees yeah. as uh, one of the opposing uh, psychologist-type characters. And, and and she does so much in that movie. She's really great. Like, the, the mud sex scene with him and her and Jason Swordsman yeah. is just like, I can't believe that they got someone to do that, and they did it, and it was great. Like, Jason Swordsman throws her face into the mud repeatedly yeah that's an actress joseph cotton was the reverend doctor uh he's jedediah leland and citizen kane he's william simonson and soylent green he's holly martins in the third man he's richard gamble in guiana cult of the damned earlier this year and he's also walter pritchard the asshole next door in the hearse this year Mm -hmm. the guy who was supposed to be taking care of the house and then was just trying to terrorize her jeff bridges played john h bridges before this, he'd been in The Last Picture Show, Fat City, Iceman Cometh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, King Kong 76, and The American Success Company, which will be hitting on its 41st anniversary. We'll see him next in Cutter's Way next year and Tron the year after that. He's also in Last Unicorn, Starman, Tucker, The Man in His Dream, Fisher King, The Vanishing Remake, Big Lebowski, Iron Man, True Grit, Tron Legacy, which Jesse worked yeah. on, and R.I.P.D., which I worked on. <laughs> He is so cute in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he's adorable. I mean, he's an attractive man, but like, I, I, I haven't seen a ton of movies with him this young where you, you see him this frequently. Yeah. yeah. And he's just, he's so adorable. Yeah. Oh, you should check out Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Yeah. Uh, I you, should see that. It's him and Clint Eastwood, and uh, eh. it's fun. I'm not the biggest Clint Eastwood fan. No. He's definitely the cuter of those two. <laughs> Paul Coslow played Mayor Charlie Lezak. He was Dutch in Omega Man. He's Deputy Charlie Scott in Vanishing Point. He's Whitey in Freebie and the Bean and Luke in Rooster Cogburn. He also played Dr. Suvarin in A Prisoner of Conscience, the penultimate episode of MacGyver Season 1. Jeffrey Lewis was Trapper Fred. We've had him this year as Walter Stoll in Tom Horn, as John Arlington in Bronco Billy. He's still coming back as Orville in Any Which Way You Can. Our friend Eval Johnson directed his final film, High and Outside, in 2018. He's also Roy Sullivan in The Devil's Rejects, Abner Mercer in The Way of the Gun, and Matthew Wicker in Maverick. And he's Juliette Lewis's dad. Richard Mazur was Cully. He's Rutherford in Risky Business. He's Mr. Anderson in License to Drive. Phil Sultanfuss in My Girl. But I always think of Clark from The Thing. Yeah. He's, al- he's also Sheriff Ed Smalley in William Goldman's Tom Horn TV movie, Mr. Horn, starring David Carradine from the year before. And he's Sean Astin's dad in Encino Man. Meat group! Nicholas Woodson played Small Man. I don't know. I guess Small Man is the guy whose wife hit the other guy with a rock. Yeah, because it's the small man and big man. Yeah. 
Uh, he played Dr. Hall in Skyfall. He's Sergei in The Man Who Knew Too Little. He's Dalton in John Carter, another huge box office bomb that I also have a credit in. Terry O'Quinn played Captain Minardi. Yeah. This was his first feature film. He's Howard Hughes in The Rocketeer. He's John Locke on Lost. He's Alex McSween in Young Guns. And he's Jerry Blake in The Stepfather. Is he in more than one Stepfather movie? Um, just in the first one. I'm not sure. I've never seen those movies. Jack Conley played Morrison. Morrison is the guy who got shot through the forehead that was being an asshole. He's a science reporter in Apollo 13. He's Agent Dunbar in Get Shorty. He's Vice Captain in L.A. Confidential and Dragonbot on Doc McStuffins. <laughs> Robin Bartlett played Mrs. Lezak. She's Lillian Grossman in Sophie's Choice. She's Barbara in Moonstruck. Debbie Buckman, Paul Reiser's sister, on Mad About You. Bridget Kearns in Shutter Island. And Lillian Gorfine in Inside Lewin Davis. Tom Noonan is Jake. We had him earlier this year in Tiny Rolls as the Man in Park from Willie and Phil and Second Man Gangster in Gloria. We'll see him next in Wolfen. He's also Francis Dollarhide in Manhunter. Kane in RoboCop 2. Ripper in Last Action Hero. Kelso in Heat. Sammy Barnathan in Synecdoche, New York. And everybody in Anomalies. <laughs> <laughs> it's zoo-sized. Caroline Cava played Stefka. She came back for Chimino's next film, Year of the Dragon. She's also Tom Cruise's mother in Born on the Fourth of July and Sam's mom on Quantum Leap. Hmm. Anna Thompson played Little Dot. She's Lucy in True Romance. She's Delilah Fitzgerald in Unforgiven. Darla in The Crow. And Crystal in Desperately Seeking Susan. Mickey Rourke was Nick Ray. We just had him in Fade to Black, and he'll be back for Body Heat next year. He's also in Diner, Rumblefish, Barfly, Buffalo 66, Spun, The Wrestler, and Iron Man 2. Kai Wolf played German Merchant. He's <laughs> uh, he's there in the uh, in the scene where they're arguing in Heaven's Gate for one yeah. of the scenes. He's a regular MacGyver villain. He played Froloff, Visser, Ladysmith, and Von Leer. He does a lot of ADR work and video game voices, particularly German voices, usually Nazis, in <laughs> Call of Duty and Medal of Honor games. This is his first feature film. Good for you, Kai Wolf. We had to talk about the Three Amigos. Oh, right. Yeah, he's also <laughs> the guy who is a huge fan of Ned Niedermeyer and the Three Amigos. <laughs> and th Until he found out that he doesn't actually do any of his own shooting. But he does. Sean Hopper was in the Heaven's Gate band. He's the keyboardist for Huey Lewis and the News. T-Bone Burnett was also in the Heaven's Gate Band. He's a guitarist in Bob Dylan's band in the 70s. He was a composer for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Walk the Line, Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges, as well as the series Nashville and True Detective. Sam Peckinpah played the hangman in a deleted scene. I want to see the deleted scene with the hangman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Played by Sam Peckinpah. He was called to the set as a potential director for Second Unit but had just suffered a heart attack and was not available to direct. He directed The Ballad of Cable Hogue, which we covered in a Patreon review, as well as The Wild Bunch, Straw Dogs, The Getaway, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and The Osterman Weekend. Willem Dafoe played Willie, uncredited. Did you actually see him in there? I didn't. Oh, I did. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. It's it's unmistakable when you see him. It was like, that's Willem Dafoe. <laughs> was it, it was during the cockfight? Or? It, was, it was during the cockfight. It, it, the, he's standing somewhat in the back, but he smiles at somebody. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and just when you see that face. Yeah, that big goblin grin. 
Uh, he's the Green Goblin in Spider-Man. He's Thomas Wake in The Lighthouse. He's also in Platoon, Last Temptation of Christ, Clear and Present Danger, Basquiat, Existence, Boondock Saints, American Psycho, Shadow of the Vampire, Life Aquatic, John Carter again, uh, The Florida Project more recently, Murder on the Orient Express, and Aquaman. Norbert Weiser played an immigrant, uncredited. He's Eric in Midnight Express. He's a German diplomat in Chaplin. He plays Albert Hujar in Schindler's List and Thackeray Binks' father in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. <laughs> He's Peter Schooler, head of the food division of the parent company of Poyos Hermanos in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm. And he's also the voice of Hitler in Wolfenstein II, The New Colossus. Okay. Those are all the credits I have on this one. Well, as per usual, I'm going to bring up the Get editors. Get the editors. Cover the editors for <laughs> me. They've done a lot of stuff. So, I mean. And there's four of them, there's right? There's four of them. And I'm not clear if, like, all of these worked on the original cut or sure. if some of these might have been brought in later. I don't know. Well, because it sounds like uh, Chimino did a lot of the editing himself. himself yeah. Like, well, even up to the end of the when it was being premiered. But, but to even, be honest, if you're shooting 60 to 1 of what you're using, you probably need four editors yeah. just to go through that amount of dailies. and and. But the editorial staff spoke very highly of him in the documentary, that they all said that he was very kind to them. He was only ever mean to the studio people. Yeah. when they would call to see what was going on. Well, I'll, I'll acknowledge all of the editors. Let's do it. Um, we have uh, William Reynolds, uh, who has done, um, he did Newsies, he did Ishtar, uh, he did Yellowbeard. <laughs> Ishtar and Yellowbeard. We did have him for Nijinsky earlier this year. That's crazy that he did Heaven's Gate, Ishtar, and Yellowbeard. Like three hugely famous films. He also did The Sting. He did The Godfather. Uh, he oh did God, Hello Dolly. Film. He did. I mean, it's just tons of tons of films on this guy's. I uh, honestly resume. love everything there. Yeah, so um, big stuff on his his plate there. Uh, we have uh, and and his credits go on forever, so I'm only yeah, yeah. only hitting a few. Um, we have uh, Gerald Greenberg, who we have. Did he uh, do Apocalypse Now? He did do Apocalypse Now. Very good. Uh, he also did uh, the 1971 They Might Be Giants movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Scarface, Kramer versus Kramer, Dressed to Kill earlier this year. Uh, so uh, a couple De Palmas. The Untouchables. A few De Palmas. Uh, Awakenings, duets, a whole bunch of stuff on here. Uh, oh, and most importantly, his his last film was Point Break. Wait, nice. Wait, that's 2015. That can't be the Point Break I'm thinking of. <laughs> Never mind. Is it, is it the remake? Did they do a remake of that movie? They did. Yeah. Uh, and then he we, worked on the remake, though. Apparently, wow! <laughs> it was his last credit was uh, 2015 for Point Break. Uh, so then we have uh, Tom Rolf. Okay, that sounds familiar too. Yeah, we have Taxi Driver, War Games, The Right Stuff, <laughs> Stakeout, Sneakers, uh, Heat, uh, The Devil's Own, whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and then we have Lisa French Frenchman. Or I might, I might be pronouncing this wrong. Uh, uh, Fruchtman or Fruchtman? Yeah, maybe, maybe Fruchtman. So there's some overlapping credits here. So she was also on Apocalypse Now and The Right Stuff. Uh, she she did Godfather Part Three. So I feel like maybe these folks work together yes, on a lot of sense. stuff. So I feel like uh, you know they they must uh, they must collaborate often. That sounds right. Um. Yeah, this movie was gorgeous. I love the story. I 
I felt like for a three hour and 39 minute movie, the pacing is wonderful. Mm -hmm. It honestly doesn't feel that long. It feels like an hour and a half, two hours maybe. I had no problem getting through this movie. I was so worried about it. Uh, I I watched it all in one night. And and, and even some of the shorter movies, I I spread over the course of two nights because I just can't get through them. But this movie was was great. It was engaging. I had to finish it. The performances are great from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. uh, the script is great. There's no, there's nothing I would change. Well, I uh, again, other than taking that first thing out. <laughs> school well, stuff. the there, there's a couple other scenes that I think are long, um, like uh, the roller skating thing. I could probably do without, and the the major battle at the end um, could be tightened. Probably could be tightened. It was it was super impactful, uh, being as long as it was because you're sort of stuck in the terror and the trauma that mm-hmm. is happening. Um, so it, it's good in that way, but I probably, I, it was, it was exhausting. Yeah. Uh, getting to a point I was like, I, you know, cause I didn't want to spoil things too far. I feel that if you're going to change the story, like having James Avril live when he died. Right. And having Ella wants it die when she lived. Um, and you're going to change Frank Canton from being a lawman who lived on mm-hmm. many years after this to, to a to, shitty guy who died, who died. If you're going to, if you're going to go all make all of these changes, then, then make it all a fictional account. Don't use these real people. Mm-hmm. Um, Does it bother you any glorious bastards? Well, no. <sighs> Cause there's only one real person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and I feel like if you're going to try to, have because it's it's very bleak and i'm not saying that it needs to have a big hollywood ending um but i feel like maybe if it had it maybe have gotten a little bit more acclaim because it just ends so you're just so down it's such a downbeat yeah and and then that last note of him on the boat yeah well that's why i i feel like either they live or they all die Mm -hmm. I, i don't think i don't think this mix works um, like, I kind of like him on the boat at the end, though, because it takes me back to what John Locke from uh, Lost. Okay. Uh, when when they're in the field and he says to him, "You know what I really dislike about you, Jim? You're a rich man with a good name. You only pretend to be poor." And at the end of the movie, it's him going, "Yeah, yeah you're right. I don't have to be." Here. I was faking it, and people it didn't fit, and people that I cared about were killed because of it. So. I, we we shouldn't mix and that was him just coming yeah. to terms with who he was at the end of the film but i kind of feel like i would have preferred like a a, a butch cassidy and the sundance kid kind of ending just, just go out hailstorm of bullets. go out and bullets all three of them die outside yeah. of the cabin mm-hmm. sure i could see it that way but i do think that there was a point hammered home with him on the yacht where it's like literally like he's not even on land you can't even judge the the land that he lives on because he doesn't live on land he lives on a beautiful yacht mm-hmm. yeah in the middle of the water with his college sweetheart. It kind of made me think that he was doing that, that he's out there so that people can't get him. Mm. Sure, yeah. But he also feels alone even on this yacht with his presumably his wife mm-hmm. um, because she doesn't do anything. She just lies around and enjoys his riches. I think we just chopped the first the first bit off this movie and the last bit off this movie and we're good yeah. to go. I leave the yacht part on, but I take off the college <laughs> stuff because that's not necessary. 
but then maybe the yacht stuff makes less even less sense when you don't introduce the character yeah yeah mm-hmm. he's like he, oh wait he's on a yacht because i mean i guess you say that he's rich but you don't really get a lot of indications yeah. from the movie that he is because he doesn't act that way yeah yeah and with with the exception of like having like the really fine cart yeah the carriage the, yeah. And, and the horse mm-hmm. that he brings her well, maybe that is the important of the bookends then to show that like just as a reminder this is where this guy came from kind of like how people told david lynch to take off the bookends of yeah uh the elephant man but it's it's a taste of his origin and a taste of where he went after right i think that's fair i think i would have done it differently then i think i would have just done a really quick intro of him at college and graduating or whatever and then another quick insert of him back in in, in some wealthy life. Like, I think that adding the other woman in there feels a little muddled. And, you know, why are we on a boat? I, I don't know. I'm on a boat and it's going fast. And I got my nautical theme, Peshmina Afghan. I think that's all we got for this one. No, we got to do our letterbox. And letterbox ups and time. Downs. Well, we already said they're ups. Yeah, I think we're up, up, up. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm having a hard time placing it. I will, too. Um, I know whereabouts. I'm just scared about when I get there. <laughs> what I'm moving around. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask let me ask before we get there. Is this breaking anyone's top ten? Yes. yes. All right. And you thought we'd hate it. I, I was so worried. <laughs> I was so. You don't I think know you were confused <laughs> because everyone seemed to hate it when it came out. Uh, and and I was just like, man, this movie. Is I mean, really... I know you like historical dramas in general probably mm. better like you liked tom horn a lot yeah a lot more than I. And, and and what's crazy about this is that you're seeing it from the other side not that i again i did not revere tom horn with any like he was such a noble you know i know he was mm-hmm. he was a bad guy and got what was coming yeah. to him um but now we're seeing the flip side of this yeah. whole situation and just how brutal it was and this movie does not hold anything back well that's what i like about this movie that tom horn i think was sorely lacking is like this is the most interesting stuff that was happening. And Tom yeah. Horn was just this kind of dull end to this, you know, this yeah. guy's life who who had interesting things happen. Yeah. This and he's happened getting, to he's him. He's getting the death penalty because he got drunk a weekend and shot a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that's real interesting. Yeah. But like this happened and he was one of the bad guys. Like, you know, if, if this was part of that other movie, he'd be like, yeah, hang that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Uh, Richard, where's this going? Uh, I'm putting this at number six. All right. This is going my number six spot. It nudged down uh, airplane to number seven um, and is just below the island. I don't know if the island will ever leave my top five. Wow. <laughs> because I love the island so much. I have it in number seven. It's right above airplane and right under the island. <laughs> I have it exactly between the same exact two movies. Jess. I have it at number six. All right. Uh, I didn't. I don't revere airplane, I think, as highly as you guys do. It's funny. Yeah. It's good. I also love the island, but it's it's been it's been bumped down a bit. This is below Shogun Assassin. Uh and above where the Buffalo Rum. Okay. I forgot you had Shogun so high. I do have That's it so high. One. It's just it's one of those fun films. But yeah. this is just epic and amazing and wonderful in so many ways. We're we're flying in the face of history right now. <laughs> Honestly, history was drunk or something. That it's crazy <laughs> that this movie was as hated as it was. Yeah. 
Um, and, and it really, it was hated that much because it was a punchline before it came out. It came out, it was in theaters for two weeks. And if you didn't have a yeah. chance to see it then, then people just spread stories about, oh my God, it was the worst was thing bad. ever. And then it came out again the next year. So people had another round to go back and go, oh my God, you're right. That was terrible. Well, it was even shorter. Yeah. Like it, 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 yeah, it could have been worse. The short version could have been worse. Well, and it just, you can't come back after that, I think, for a re-release. You're just like, wait, they re-edited it? It must yeah. have been so bad that they re-edited it? You know, you're like, and I'm was, not going to go see that. It was Chimino's decision to take it out of theaters, which yeah. is crazy to me because he he has such a confident hand in the filmmaking part of it that you would think he would stick the landing and say, fuck you, keep it in theaters. It's going to do well. It's a good movie. But because he showed that wavering in his confidence yeah. and asked them specifically to pull it out so they could re-edit. He doesn't even like the finished edit of the original cut. He thinks that it, that he was rushed because he was still, like Jeff Bridges said, that when they first strung it up for the premiere that it was still like wet. The film yeah. was like still being edited. It just came out of the soup. Yeah. I want that five five hour. Yeah. And I would hour love cut. that. Hey, grassroots effort here. We're gonna bring this back up from, you know, the horrible reviews that it had. We're gonna get it the recognition it deserves and we're gonna find it, the missing footage. I think it's it's <laughs> had sort of a resurgence lately that people realize, oh, this movie got shit on for like almost no reason. Yeah. But um yeah. Well, I, I did want to mention again that you can watch uh Soderbergh's cut. Uh, on a couple different sites it's circulating online. Oh, okay. It's pretty yeah. easy to find. Um, Did you watch it? or? Um, I, I scrubbed through it to see what was kind of different, uh, mostly just looking at the bookends of the beginning and the end, which yeah. are different. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what what he deemed, because uh, he he's been retired, and he did this, I think, while in retirement. I uh, didn't do this. I, give me the movie. I want to re-edit it. <laughs> well, that's what, um, that's what uh, Topher Grace does too now. Mm-hmm. he just goes through and re-edits star wars movies i think that sounds fun yeah all right i think that's everything for this one if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd whereas i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode and on that note i want to give a shout out to the bloody nine for their itunes review thank you so much if you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing the Apple, which IMDB describes like so. In 1994, Ooh, a future. young couple enters the world <laughs> of the music industry and subsequently the world of drugs. We leave you now with the trailer for the Apple. In 1994, the world is controlled by one power. The apple is success. There ain't no pride. There ain't no shame. There ain't no sympathy. The Apple brings you everything. What about happiness? I wanted to release Phoebe from a contract. Cheers. Where is she? I 
Apple is the temptation. The apple is the experience. Take the apple! Whoa! Praise the apple! The apple is the forbidden fruit. The apple takes your soul. Special experience in movie-going entertainment. The Apple. Ah!